going on. Morning, everyone. Excited to be here this morning as we continue in our study of, Colo of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, which I forgot, so I can't scold you this morning, but if you have your Bible with you, let's be turning to Colossians chapter 1, and we're still in verse 10, which we'll be in for probably a week or so longer. Just did want to recognize and be excited about some of the youth who are here this morning since Evan is teaching the leadership class. We're so glad to have that table of young people over there. Aren't they a good-looking group of people? Thank you all for being here. And thank you for moving up to be a part more of the, this adult group. Uh, again, thank you all for being here. And, and I say that because I cannot get away from this concern that I have that the Word of God must be central in our lives in every aspect. That we must elevate it even more and more and more and more as to its importance, as to our understanding, as to our embracing and receiving and obedience. Because if we are void or ignorant or deficient in the understanding of what God's Word is, then what do we have? On what do we depend? Whom do we go to for counsel? Everything is a loss. And so thank you for being here for the study of this word. And I don't say that as some have implied, well, you say that because you're teaching. No. I say that because the word of God is being ministered, whether I'm teaching, Evan May's teaching, whether Jason's in here, Bill Treby is in here. Thank you for being here. Really, really appreciate that and want to always communicate that to you. I pray and I know that God will bless you in ways of having been open to the Word of God in ways that you will not be blessed otherwise. And yes, God's blessings are administered that way. Sometimes we don't understand that, but they are. So thank you for being here. So remember last week, we learned that Paul considered our worthy walk to be a good work. Remember, we talked about the necessity of our walking worthy of the Lord in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then you remember Paul in several words later connected that walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to a good work. And we talked about the necessity of the work of faith. Remember he talked about the work of faith in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. He, com he commendates them. He uh, approbates them, approves of their work of faith. And so we talked about the issue of our salvation is never unconditional. There are believers which would tell you salvation is an unconditional thing. Well, nothing with God is unconditional. Nothing. Everything with God is from Him to us, but on our side it must be what? Received or embraced by faith. And so there is a condition to our being saved. It is the embracement of our faith, our believing and receiving, and today, as we'll find out, our continuing walking in that which He has initiated in our lives. So He initiates, and then we must receive it. 
And so when God's initiation is received by our yes, if you would, then the work of salvation begins in us and it continues in us the same way. So we are not only learn that the worthy walk is a good work, but we also learn that what man considers a good work, because when we talk about the work of salvation, when we talk about you must do a good work, we typically as believers, we bristle at that because we've been taught there's no good work. There's nothing we can do. Well, that's correct in one sense, but it's incorrect in another sense. So we must be very clear in what we're saying and what we're understanding so we won't both stumble ourselves and stumble others. And so what we're saying in these messages concerning the worthy walk is not putting away something and establishing something new, but hopefully bringing clarification to our terminology. So as we share with one another and as we look at the Word, let us be understanding in a broader way the distinctions that are in the Word of God. So we also learn that when man, typical people, when man cons- what man considers a good work and what God considers a good work are completely at odds. There is a good work. But what kind of a work is it that God demands and requires of us in order to do his work in us? You see, for man, a good work is what he produces by his own effort, what he calls his own good deeds. Now, let's make sure we get that. If a good work by any of us is to be considered what I in my own effort, by my own ability, for my own purpose, my own work. You see the, the emphasis on me, my, and I there. If that's what it is, that is considered by God to be unrighteous. Because remember, there are righteous deeds and unrighteous deeds. The works of the flesh, Paul calls it in Galatians 5, 19. These are the works of the flesh. These are the things that the flesh thinks it's doing as good work. But from God's perspective, it's not good work. It's works of the flesh. These are unrighteous deeds. These are works done in the sphere of the natural man apart from the spirit. Apart from the spirit. Now, to take a quick dogleg, you remember In Romans chapter 3, Paul differentiates, he distinguishes between righteous good works and unrighteous good works. Remember, Romans is about the gospel of righteousness. It is about the gospel of God's righteousness being revealed and established and lived in us as opposed to and the only way of overcoming the unrighteousness of man. And so righteousness is everything and anything of God. God being right in everything that he is and in everything he does. And even in what he doesn't do, God is always right. Anything not of God is immediately classified as not righteous, unrighteous. And so in 3.10 of Romans, what does Paul say? None are righteous. And then he says, oh, did you not get it? No, not one. Because somebody's going to think of, wait a minute, I know that. How many of you know that? You know? Then once he establishes the, the, uh, the, um, 
the bar here, I can't think of my word, once he raises the level to this, none are righteous, then he gives us three examples of what he's talking about. Ain't nobody good, nobody's doing good, nobody's seeking for God, and nobody understands, correct? Now, we would say, wait a minute, I know a lot of people who are doing good. I know a lot of people who are seeking for God. I know a lot of people who have an understanding. But if it's apart from God-centered, God-initiated, God-motivated, God-empowered, and God-produced work by the Spirit, God says it's unrighteous. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And so man's deeds of unrighteousness are what he thinks as good deeds. God has a completely opposite and contrary view. You see, for God, our good works are those that we do. Now, emphasize that because I've heard a lot of times, oh, God, oh, God, and none of me. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's all of God with all of me. Can we begin to get that clearer? It's all of God using all of me, or at least as much of me as he is using. And so good works from God's perspective are the works that we do empowered by the Spirit through, remember dia, D-I-A, through, for you're saved by grace through, dia, through the channel of, through the channel of faith. So as an example, Jesus raises Lazarus. Who's doing that? The man or the God? Who's doing it? Both. Are we with me today? Who's raising Lazarus? Steve, who raised Lazarus from the dead? The man Jesus Christ. Joe, who raised Lazarus from the dead? The Holy Spirit. Well, who did it? Both. Jesus did not do it apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not do it apart from Jesus. Do we see that? There's a picture of what our good deeds are. God is doing it. God is doing it. I'm doing it. Well, who's doing it? Both. So don't, in our walk with the Lord, in our communicating of the gospel, don't overemphasize one side or the other. Don't deprecate, put down one or the other. Don't appreciate one or the other. Make both of them together to be understood, to be appreciated, to be accentuated. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. He's talking to people concerning their daily way of life. Remember, the word walk is parapeteo. It means your daily manner or the way you live, your daily behavior. He says, look, folks, you walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, you, won't be not, you will not be gratifying the deeds of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not be doing the fleshly works. You will not be doing the deeds of people in their natural abilities, but you will be doing the deeds of God supernaturally through your own work. You see, this worthy walk in good, righteous works. Remember, good works, righteous works. Remember what Paul's talking about, good works, righteous works. This worthy walk in good works is begun and continued on the basis of faith. 
Now, we are pretty good about understanding that we are saved by the good work of Jesus Christ, his life of obedience. He is the only man who earned in his own work by the Spirit, he earned the right to be called righteous, right? He earned it. How? By his good works. He earned it. Then that that he has earned has been now given to him as a laurel or as a crown of righteousness as a man has now earned and completed the righteousness of God and he lived it the same way we do by faith through the Spirit. He did it that way, but he did it perfectly. And having earned that now, he has the ability and the right to confer upon us that same mantle by the Spirit. Why? Because he's been given all authority in heaven and earth because he is now the King of kings and the Lord of lords and God the Father has vindicated Christ and has displayed that now a man is righteous. Now finally, my purpose of Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness, is completely and perfectly fulfilled in this one man who now shares that image with his people. Correct? You're beginning to see how this works and what this is all about. And so this is Paul's mindset as he writes this letter and many other letters. So we're begun by the same way that we continue, by faith. As we were saved by grace through faith. Remember Ephesians 2 verse 8. As we were saved by grace through faith. God's part, our response. We are now to walk by grace through the same faith. Don't say to me as a believer, I don't have faith to obey or this or that. You may have weak faith. Your faith may not be as informed as it needs to be, but you cannot say as a believer, if you're a believer, I don't have faith. You, in fact, if you're in Christ, have faith. Amen? Let's stop saying what the devil tells us. It may be needed to be informed. It may need to be encouraged. It may need to be built up. It may need to be infused with more power. It may need a whole lot, but you got faith. Because you're in Christ. Because you can't be in Christ if you ain't got the faith. So by the same faith that we were embracing Christ because of God's gift to us, that is the same faith now. That gift is now being unwrapped and is a functioning gift, a continuing gift of faith that continues to function in me in the very same way that it functioned in me when I said yes to Jesus initially. It is the very same action of saying yes to Jesus moment by moment. It is the same work of faith. It's not a different faith. It's not a something unusual. It's not something that I need now to get something else. It is the very same activity. It is just the differences. It is now a growing and proliferating faith that is now more and more taking over all the aspects of my life. That's what a worthy walk is. It produces a worthy walk. 
when we receive Christ, remember John 1, 12, to as many as received him, you remember that verse? When we receive Christ by faith, Ephesians 2, 8, remember these verses. God applied the good, righteous work of Christ's obedience to our account. He says, here is what Jesus did, and this is a, this is a what do you call it in accounting, a, a, a journal entry. He took the good journal entry of Christ's perfect life and he placed it over the corrupt journal entry of our own life. He wrote forgiven over the whole thing. All the debt is forgiven. And he places the perfect journal entry of Jesus Christ on our account. So now under our name is the journal entry of the obedience of Christ. Can you say amen? You see, all the deficits and all the bills and all the, 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 the foreclosures and all the bankruptcies of our life before Christ, God writes across it, forgiven, paid for. And now in that same journal sheet, he places Christ's obedience and perfection under my name, under your name, which we have received by faith. And now the rest of my life is living out of that account that has been given to me by God because of his mercy, don't you see? So when we receive Christ by faith, God applied the righteous work of Christ's obedience to our account so that we are declared by God to be not guilty of any disobedience. We are justified. Listen to what Romans 4, 3 through 5 says. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited to him or reckoned to him as righteousness. Now remember, righteousness always and only applies to God himself. The root and the you know, of righteousness is always God. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a wage. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to be saved. I'm try God says you're working. That's your wage. You're going to fail. And the wages of that work that fails is death. Remember that. But to the one who does not work, does not mean what? doesn't mean don't do anything. It, does, it means I am going to stop trying to earn this by my own efforts. But believes, you see, faith, the word pistis, faith, but places his faith in, trusts, yields, cooperates, embraces, walks with him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, legally declared as righteousness. So our walking worthy of the Lord began by faith and now is to continue by that same kind of faith. 1 John 2, 6 says this. This is an extraordinary statement. You need to know this is in the Bible. Whoever says he abides in Christ. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm in Christ. I've been saved. Okay, fine. Fine. You say you're saved. Yes, I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? I went down to the altar and I received Christ. Great. So did I. I had a personal experience with Christ. Great. So did I. I'm not deprecating that. I'm not demeaning it. But that's not the way you know you're saved essentially. All you know on that is that something went on. 
something happen. Well, wait a minute. What, what, what are you telling me? Well, look at the rest of what John says. If we say we abide in him, you know, everyone who abides in him, what? Ought to what? Walk in the same way in which he walked. So, Anton, you say you're saved? Yeah, brother, I went down to the altar and I did that. Great, wonderful, hallelujah, do, praise God. What does your walk look like today? Is it a Jesus walk? Is it a Jesus walk? Well, uh, uh, well uh, no, but I know I'm saved. I can't tell you how many, when we used to go down to Bourbon Street, not drinking, but witnessing. When we used to go to Angola, not because we were convicted of something. Notice I didn't say not because we didn't do anything. When we went down to Bourbon Street, we used to go down every Friday almost, every weekend. I don't remember. Is there anyone in here who used to go with us? Kevin, yeah. I thought you were sleeping, Kevin. Thanks for not being asleep. I can't tell you how many people come stumbling along. Man, yeah, I'm a believer. I go to so-and-so. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, I don't say you're not a Christian because you got drunk. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Because you got drunk, therefore you're not a Christian. It doesn't say that. But what is your manner of life? If this is the way you're living, if this is your walk, brothers and sisters, you need to go back and think it out again. Because something is dangerously and seriously wrong. You see, we cannot give unconditional uh, security to a believer. There is no such thing as unconditional security in the Bible. There's no such thing. There's no such thought that's once saved, always saved in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. I asked you a week or two ago, go, go look. Anybody try to look that up? Did anybody find once saved, always saved in the Bible? Did anybody say find in the Bible, you can't lose your salvation. Did anybody find those, that terminology in the Bible? Anybody? Well, why isn't it in there? All, so many Christians talk about it and debate it. They're not talking about the right thing. They're talking about man's preoccupation. We need to talk biblically and share biblically. So remember what I said last week. If you want to talk about these things, if you want to discuss them and debate them or whatever, that's fine. I think that's good. But do it what? On the ground of biblical terminology and biblical information. And stop all this man-centered, man-made terminology. Stop it. As I told you, I was in a meeting not too long ago, and I said, I'm not going to talk about it that way because that's not in the Bible. So I can't use that terminology, once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. I don't do it. And if they don't let me talk, then I won't talk. Because you see, Billy, I'm on the wrong ground. I need to be on the ground of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, look what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember, dia, the channel of dia, D-I-A, faith. And this, this what? This faith is not of your own doing. This faith is a gift of God. Why? So that you don't boast. So that not of the results of works, your works of unrighteousness, what you did, so that no one may boast before God. Oh, let me tell you something. I did this and I did that. There's too, many, there's too many testimonies of I received 
Christ or I found Jesus or whatever. Not enough of God found me. He searched for me and he found me and he rescued me and he took me out of the pit. Yes, I need to say I said yes, but that doesn't need to be the main feature. The main feature needs to be the God who sought for me, found me, and won me. Amen? Too often testimonies are about 99% of what I did. Oh, then God did something too, but you know, really. <laughs> now look what he says. So he says, this is why you're saved. I mean, you, you've been saved this way. By grace, dia means what? The channel of what? Faith. Okay, fine. Then what does he say in verse 10? Why did he do this? Look at why God did it. Now, when you look at why God did it, keep Genesis 1.26 in mind. I've said a hundred times in here, Genesis 1.26 is God's great purpose statement for mankind that in mankind and through mankind, the kingdom and rule and dominion and majesty and glory of God is to be manifested in the heavens and in all the earth. That's what Genesis 1.26 tells us. Let us make man in our image. That's what it's about. So the rest of the Bible, after Genesis 3, 6, when Adam sinned, shows us that God actually does this, moves toward it in the Old Testament, and starts its fulfillment in the New, and completes it in Revelation 21, 22. That's what your Bible is all about. The great history of God working his plan in his people, and with his people, and through his people. So why does God save us by grace through faith, Joe? Well, what does verse 10 say? For we are his work, <coughs> workmanship. Hopefully the word work no longer is a distasteful and curse word to you. You know, that, that four-letter work of Christianity, work. I'm not afraid of it. If you handle it biblically, we should rejoice in it. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for whose good works? Christ's righteous good works, which God prepared beforehand. Before we were saved, God had good works of Christ ready to implant in us and produce in us, implant in our salvation and produce through our sanctification. Well, let me think, that we should walk in these good works or the works of Christ, and we walk by faith. That's what this is all about. Now that we have been saved as a result of the good work of perfect obedience of Christ, that's why we were saved. A man walked perfectly, obediently before God. We are saved because of and in his perfect work and walk of obedience, of righteousness. Now we are to continue by walking in those same good works by faithful obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What does Paul say in Romans 5.1? He uses that obnoxious word, which so many people call legalism, the obedience of faith. It is a hateful word, unfortunately, in many believers' categories, this word obedience. And that's a terrible thing. Because it was because of a man's obedience that we're here today. Remember what Philippians 2 says. Obedient even unto death, even what? The death of the 
cross. Wherefore also God, as a result, has highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in the things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember Philippians. I just quoted 8 through 11 there, but the whole thing is 5 through 11. One man's obedience. Let us be a, a group of believers who applaud obedience, who when we hear something about our life being out of order, we applaud anything and anyone even if it comes to us through an obnoxious person who will tell us, obey, obey, obey. What does it mean, Ken? Walk worthy, walk worthy, walk worthy. See, the result is that the good work of Christ now is being reproduced in us by the Spirit through faith. Look what he says to the Galatians who Paul is writing, and he's very upset. And he says in verse chapter 3, Oh, you foolish Galatians! Can you imagine the pastor telling the congregation, Are you a bunch of fools? Oh, brother, you're not being, you're not being positive. Well, that's not the gospel to call a believer a foolish person. Well, yes, it is, if this is happening. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who put a spell on you, voodooed you? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? In other words, your own personal righteous deeds. <clears throat> or did you receive it by hearing about the righteous deeds of God in Christ with faith? How did you get saved? You trusted and heard about the righteous deeds of Christ that God accepted on your behalf, laying our sins on Him, paying the full price in His death of our sin, and in his resurrection, having condemned sin, the devil, Satan, and everything else to destruction, God raised him from the dead to give us eternal life, right? By faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now going to be perfected or matured by the flesh? You began by faith. Now you think it has to be on your, the, the ground of your own personal good works of righteousness, that you're going to now try to do something and improve yourself? He says... It isn't going to happen. Now that we have been justified by faith, by the good work of Christ, we are to walk in the same good works by the same faith. It's called sanctification. Our walking being empowered by the Spirit as we take one step of righteousness, one step of righteousness by one step of righteousness at a time. We are walking by faith, empowered and motivated by the Spirit. And as that happens, we are deciding to obey. How many of you can decide to obey or disobey? How many of you can actually decide to obey or disobey when you're tempted? Come on, raise your hand. 
when you're tempted can you say yes or no do you have that ability we have the ability now it is we who are deciding but motivated and being empowered by the spirit we never have to decide to disobey we can always decide to obey we don't always do that but every time we decide to obey by the Spirit's leading and empowerment, we are taking a righteous step. And every righteous step that we take this way, we are getting more and more closely being the fulfillment of Romans 8:29, which is what? We have been predestined to be conformed to the image, image, Genesis 1:26, to the image of God's Son. You see, step by step. We're being conformed into the image of Christ, just like a sculptor, chisel piece by chisel piece, working with this piece of granite, little bit at a time, chiseling away that which is not of his vision. That which is not of his vision is being chiseled away so that his vision for this sculpture can come forth. It's inside this big block of granite, but it has to be chiseled away one stroke and hammer of righteous obedience by faith in Christ by the Spirit and God is chiseling away our unrighteousness and the deeds of the flesh and our dependence upon ourselves and our submission to sin etc he's chiseling it away one and that hurts and that's suffering and that's difficulty sometimes but finally out of this big block of concrete or granite that each one of us were when we were saved comes the beautiful face of Jesus Christ sanctification sanctification but if we are not allowing God and to take that hammer and take that chisel against our own lives because it is God who takes the chisel and takes the hammer but it is also we you see you didn't figure that did you that we take the chisel and take the hammer and together my hand and God's hand is on the chisel. My hand and God's hand is on the hammer. And together we are hammering out the image of Christ. Do you see that? And the stroke of the hammer against the chisel is called faith and obedience. That's what's happening. That's the good work of God in us. But if I try to take that hammer out of God's hand, give it to me, I know how to do it, and I hit it, it's going to maul this thing, it's going to break it, it's going to chip it out, it's going to do damage, and God is just going to have to come back and do some restorative work, which is going to be maybe a little more painful and certainly slow down the process of revelation of the face of Christ. Don't you see? So my work is give me that hammer. But my faith work by the Spirit is, let me join my hand to your hand. And God says, let me join my hand to your hand. So that together, our hands together, cooperatively, may bring forth the face of Him who is inside this granite block, waiting to be revealed through the process of a lifelong walk of sanctification through obedience of good faith. Can you say amen to God's word? See, now that we've been justified by faith, we walk in the same faith. Just as our salvation was not automatic. Please get that word automatic. Underline that word automatic. Just as our 
salvation was not automatic. Do we now see that our salvation was not automatic? Do we now see that our salvation was not unconditional? There's no such thing as unconditional salvation. And I know many believers, I told a believer the other day, and he almost threw up. James, he almost threw up. And he said, I'm going to have to come to that class. I said, please do. Because he said, I believe in unconditional salvation. I said, you're wrong. The Bible doesn't teach it. Well, I thought we taught that as a church. I said, well, if you thought that, you either were wrong in understanding or we have mistaught something. Hopefully we have never taught it. But I think what all of us are sometimes in danger of is when we emphasize one aspect, the rest of us forget the other aspects. Haven't you ever seen that in your own family? Your mama says this and that, and she, you know, and she did say this too, but you forgot, and then it looks like she was denying it. No, she's just emphasizing something you need at that very moment, not putting away the other stuff. Just as our salvation was not automatic, the result, <clears throat> but the result of our necessary obedience of faith. Remember, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but I live by faith in the Son of God. Remember that? It is no longer I live, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live how? By faith in the Son of God who loved me. Galatians 2.20. This is what Paul is telling Peter when Peter has been eating Gentile food and when the Jews came in, he spit out the Gentile food and jumped the table and got with the Jews to look like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. And Paul said, hey, hey, don't do this. And this is the capstone of that teaching in Galatians 2 when Paul confronts Peter. He's telling Peter this. Our sanctification is not automatic, but the, necessary, the result of necessary obedience. So also our sanctification. Remember I just said the obedience of faith is necessary. Romans 1, 5. Through whom? And through Christ. We have now received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You see, too many believers believe that obedience is not a part of the gospel. If you hear a preacher, teacher, denigrating, putting down obedience as a central and the central activity of our walk with God, he has missed the point. And he's either faulty in his teaching or a false prophet. We cannot emphasize and talk about faith apart from what faith is faith is our obedient response having been given the desire and the ability to do so now we do so obediently it is not my obedient response to get something of faith it is my obedient response within the context of the gift of faith that god has given me you understand that? It is not obedience to get. It is obedience from having received. But I still must act obediently. It is not an automatic issue. Our walk of sanctification, why is it so important? It's important because of what it means to God. Why is it so important? It's critical because, well, it's critical because if you don't, you won't be blessed. It's critical because if you don't, you won't get God's, you know, help in this. It's critical. All those issues are important. But the critical issue of our sanctification is for God. For God. Let us never make our lives 
and ourselves the main issue. God is. Why? As we begin to become aware of the significance. Why? Because we're God's image bearers. I think I skipped something. Our walk of sanctification is our God's way of imaging himself. Of imaging himself. As we walk in sanctification, God is fulfilling Genesis 1.26, which is the reason he created us in the very beginning. It's critical to him. You see, as we began to become more aware of the significance of our walk to God, we must not fall prey to the thought that now that I'm saved, I am automatically kept saved to the end. Once saved, always saved. Friends in Christ, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible warns us against any notion. May I go a few moments or over? Is that all right if you have to leave? The Bible warns us against any notion of unconditional automatic security, once saved, always saved. It warns us against that. Here's, what, here's some issues. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If. Abide means continue to live. Hmm. Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be what? Saved. Hmm. Condition. Maybe that begins to cause us to look at the way we're walking daily a little more soberly. First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which was you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. It is a process. Salvation is not something that happened at a particular time. It is something that began at a particular time, but is a process that is completed at the end of time. Thank you. He says, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, uselessly. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, look at this one. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? Now, those are sobering words. Many of us don't think that way, do we? I mean, come on. How many of us have actually thought that way? We don't think this way. We kind of we hone in on the, what we call the security passages, and that's where we live. But there are both security passages and conditional passages. I'm not going to get into Hebrews, but Hebrews has five major warnings of falling away. And people say, well, this is hypothetical. No, look, these are actual warnings of what will happen if we abandon the faith. You will not be saved at the return of Christ. Banning the faith, you will not be saved at the return of Christ. How many still feel comfortable in here this morning? Wait a minute, there's something wrong here. This is nervous. That's why the warnings are given, to make you nervous. Son, if you get too close to the edge, you're going to fall over and kill yourself. Is that true? If he falls over, will he kill himself? Saber, will he kill himself? Sure, he's, gonna, he's not going to bounce. It's a real warning. But it's given to keep the son 
I think I'm going to move away from the edge. I think I'll move away from the edge. Does it mean that when the warning is given, that means that the sun will jump over? No. Does it mean that the sun ever will jump over? It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that if you get to the edge and you fall, you're going to die. Do we see what the Word of God is? Let us not make of these issues something that they are not. They are genuine warnings that if you don't continue, if you abandon the faith, you will not make it to the end. These are genuine warnings. So don't hypothet the word. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He was just trying to say that. No, I believe this is genuine. I don't think Jesus is here. Here, let me give him a little kind of, and I'll, hold my, I'll cross my fingers when I say it. You see, we, as we see, our salvation and its continuance, the beginning and the continuance of the same salvation is a result of a continuing faithful partnership between God and us. Did we see the partnership with the chisel and the hammer issue? Did we see that that's a partnership? Do we see that? 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So how are we to be saved to the end? How are we to be saved? God's sustaining presence and power producing in us faith-filled cooperation or obedience with him as his fellow workers. 1 Corinthians 1.8. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you. Remember Luke 22? <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? Did I say what before my last sentence? God's sustaining presence and power, producing in us faith-filled obedience with him as his fellow workers. And by the way, this cooperative, this togetherness, you know why there's so much with and cooperation community? Because it's a revelation of who God is in himself the community of the Trinity. That's why this is significant to God. It's just not God wants us to get along with one another. He wants us to be reflective of himself. The community of the church reflecting the community of God in heaven. Remember Peter? Jesus said, you're going to build the church. Well, then, you know, several weeks later, he tells Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Remember Luke 22? He's going to get you. Listen to his answer. But I have prayed that your faith fail not. See, Jesus is not nearly as concerned about a lapse of obedience at a particular moment as he is to a damaged faith. See, he didn't say, Peter, I'm going to pray that you never deny me. He didn't pray that. He doesn't want that, but he didn't pray it. He prayed that your faith, your faith. And he's in heaven, 725 of Hebrews, ever making an intercession for us. And that same prayer for that man is his prayer for us today. 
God will sustain us through our walk of faith, through our living and obedient partnership with God. Remember, Philippians 1, 6, For I am persuaded of this very one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. But it is not an automatic, now we're saved, we can kind of do what we want to do through life. If we come to a place of abandoning our faith and living recklessly and living as if God doesn't matter anymore and coming to a place, can we come to a place of abandoning our faith? I don't know. You do it and you let me know later. Someone asked me not too long ago, can a believer commit suicide and go to heaven? I said, I wouldn't take the chance. I didn't say, oh, yes, he can because of that. Oh, no, he can't. I'm just telling you, I don't know, and he ain't taking the chance, Gordon. Don't go beyond the Bible. The Bible doesn't say so one way or the other. Do we see what we do? Don't go beyond the Bible. You see, we see now that our walking, walking worthy of the Lord is not a request but a command so that we are fulfilling the reason for our salvation. But with this command, God provides motive and empowerment. Amen. We're saved by the decree of God's sovereign grace, which we receive by faith, that we are being saved to the end by, and we are being saved to the end by his sovereign grace, by, by the same gift of faith. God is good, isn't he? Ephesians 5, 15. Look carefully then to how you walk, not as being unwise, but as wise. Next week, we'll talk about our walk pleasing God. See you next time. Thank you.